Good morning, church family. Um, I'm kind of nervous, so I just had to write it. So going to Colombia was totally a form of stepping out of my comfort zone. But I thought, why not? You see, I was born and raised in Colombia. So I prayed a lot, a whole lot. And with the support of my family and their prayers, I went. Well, we went. My oldest, whose birthday is today, happy birthday, Steph, came with me. And my thought was, you know, I was born in Colombia. I could go and make a change. It's my beautiful country. Why not? My first mission trip, our first mission trip. So throughout the whole process, again, it was a form of just stepping out of my comfort zone and trusting in God. From the fundraising, which is a little hard, but it's not impossible because, like someone said, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. <laughs> um, thanks, Jennifer, for that one. Uh, <clears throat> actually, um, my fans actually mission trip was because I didn't know what to expect. But I knew that I've been praying a lot every day since Pastor Dill preached. Lord, every morning I said, Lord, use me. I'm available. Change me. And he did. He changed me. My kids could test to that, I hope. <laughs> or my husband. Um, he has taken me to places that I've never been, has um, allowed me to see his grace and his love for me. So with that said, I thought I could um, take all that with me to my beautiful country. In this mission trip, I learned a few things. To trust in God, to let him use me, because kids, he could use all of us. We all are creative at his image, and I know that he could use each and every one of us. I learned to pray more out loud, which is hard for me. But I learned that. I learned to pray out loud, and I learned that the Holy Spirit moves in ways that you cannot imagine when you do pray. I also work, I'm sorry, I also learned to work as a team. Because when we do as a team, it's so much easier. Like I said, God could use each and every one of us. We all have talents, skills, gifts that he's given us. And if we work as a team, we can make things so much better for our church and for our community. I also work, I also learn to... Um, to do all things out of love and not, of, not out of our convenience. I will never forget all the beautiful faces, all the hugs, all the smiles, all the friendships we created along the way. I even gained a son. This is my other son. <laughs> just, for that, for just for that week. <laughs> um, but mostly, I will never forget how every child I hug, I smile, that I pray with, changed my life. I will never forget the feeling of serving God by giving love and by doing it with love. 
again, not out of my convenience, but out of his love for me, through me, for them. I'm very thankful to God that my first mission trip I was going, and I had to experience it with my oldest, was to my beautiful Colombia. Thank you, everyone, for your support, for your prayers, and for your financial support. And um, it's not done here. I'm coming back to Colombia. But let's not forget there's more mission trips to come. So thank you. God bless you. Good morning. Uh, I also wrote mine. Um, so for those who don't know me, my name is Caroline. Um, I've been a part of Avalon Church for about a year and a half, and I've been attending 1825 for about two years. Um, I had the opportunity on going this, to this Columbia mission trip, and I just wanted to share my experience, and thank you all for making that a reality for me. For many months, I couldn't find a job, um, so when I felt the calling to go to Columbia, I thought it was crazy. Realistically, there was no way of funding, of me funding going on the mission trip, but I believe, like Gloria said, when Jennifer Campos said to us, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. I started a bake sale, which little did I know would end up funding over 80% of my trip. I share this part of my journey because without God showing his faithfulness through all of you, all the amazing things that happened on the trip wouldn't have been possible. God moved through our group in Colombia from serving the youth to the most impoverished places we went to. God was faithful. There were so many beautiful memories made and the moments that will forever change the way I perceive life. This wasn't my first mission trip. In fact, I've been to dozens of them growing up, but none of them had affected me the way that this trip did. I believe that God used my past and all the difficulties in my life that I have faced to this day as a way to reach the lost. From leading worship to sharing with the kids, it was also moving to see God at work in people's lives. At the end of every program for the kids, we would pray for each individual child. Time and time again, we would all hear the same prayer request. Those kids just want hope and to be able to live a better life, a life without drugs and abuse, without starvation, and a life with love. We were a glimpse of that by showing them the love that Christ has for us through our actions. I won't forget the moment I had with a young girl that had been self-harming. She told me she knew Christ, that she believed that he was her savior, but that she couldn't control her addiction of self-harming. I looked at her, and as I thought of what to say next, I prayed. The same prayer I'd been praying for months. Lord, let it be you who speaks, not my words, but yours. What came out from me, the boldness, it was from God. I told her, if you tell me that you believe in the Son of God and that he has saved you from your sin, then why do you continue to cut yourself? Why do you think that it is okay to continuously hurt God? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And if he lives within you, then hasn't Jesus suffered enough on that cross for you? Did he not go through enough pain for your sins? If so, then why are you hurting him even more? Why aren't you clinging to his hope, his hope instead of looking for other ways to escape? Your peace and hope is only to be found in him because he is our rest. I tell you this moment because it's one I will never forget. After that conversation, I felt this enormous and overwhelming feeling of just knowing that this was why I had been called on that trip. If that was the only conversation that I would have had on the entire trip, I can tell you it would have been worth it. I know God isn't finished yet. 
and I'm excited to continue letting him use me for his glory here in Colombia, in Mexico, or anywhere else he may lead. Thank you. Good morning, church family. So um, the main reason I went on this mission trip was uh, I really felt God telling me, how much do, do you love me? So in the beginning of this year, I looked at my life and I said, um, I really gave my life to Jesus at the Passion Conference. I don't remember if you guys was talking about that, but I really wanted to give my life and I really did. And so in the beginning, I asked, how can I serve him more? And, and um, I remember one verse that I read, it was Philippians 121. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it really caught my attention. I wanted to make my life, I wanted to make that my life verse. To live a life with the fullness of Christ, where there's nothing else that mattered but Christ. And if it were to die, I'd have a gain in, that would be in heaven. I wanted to stop living this comfortable Christian life like we talked about last week. It was time to do risky things for him and give it my all. So I went to Colombia and God used me in ways I never thought how. I preached, I prayed, and I shared God's love. Also in Spanish. I, I know I look Spanish, but trust me, I cannot speak it. Trust me. <laughs> but um, every time like, I started praying in Spanish, I can just feel that God was putting the words literally in my mouth. Like this wasn't me. This was God using through me. And, and every time I was shocked, every single time. And then um, I remember praying for one, one kid. His name was Andres. He didn't tell me much about himself, but um, I just went on and I just wanted to pray for him. And I started praying for his future, his family, and that maybe his family can really know the, the love of Christ. And then I looked up to him and he was just crying his eyes out. And it looked like that if nobody's ever prayed for him before or his family never really cared about him. So that just that really broke my heart. And I remember hugging him and telling him, I love you and Christ loves you even more. And it's just that, that hope that some kids don't have over there in Colombia that even some of us here we don't even have, but it's good to go and share God's love like that. And that really, really touched my heart. And I'm always going always gonna to have that in my heart. I, always have a, I actually have a picture of him. And I'm always going to continue praying for, for Andres. Even though uh, I'm gone from Colombia or I'm back here in America, the mission's still not over. We don't have to go on a mission trip to show Christ's love and to share his story. Every time we walk out the door, we should be ready to show Christ's love and his story. To the cashier at Walmart, to the server at Olive Garden, to the cop giving you the speeding ticket, we're all called to share the gospel of his love. I'm so excited to see how God will use me in the future to advance his kingdom. I'm beyond excited for the way God will use us and the, the rest of the team in Mexico. God bless you all, and thank you for your support and prayers. Good. Why don't you stay here for just a minute? Many stories represented in these three because there was a whole team that went. We've got over 20 people getting ready and making preparations and raising funds to get to Mexico in October to share other stories, much, much like this. And I hope you all will stay afterwards and come on out and grab a burger and a dog and some fixins and leave a donation for, it's going all towards that Mexico mission trip. Yeah, even if you don't want a hot dog or a hamburger, why don't you wander out there and just drop a 20 in the basket and help them get, because we want, we want this type of testimony to continue. Thank you so much.
Well, good morning again. Can... Wow. Hey, how about the, the kids are going to help me out? You come on up here right now, please, huh? First family, or I mean, first Sunday family worship. We got some folks that are going to help us out. Boys, why don't you step over here? Let me move this contraption a little bit. There we go. Good. Okay, let's step here where everybody can see you. Oh, I need to move that back. Great. This is Noah Hernandez. Okay. And my, my good buddy here, you know, how are you? You were up here already, weren't you? Yeah, and then Ray Lynn, you're Philip's sister, aren't you? Okay, so Brady and Noah and Ray Lynn are going to help us. So here, Noah, tell me, what's a rainforest? A rainforest is a big forest with big trees and it rains there a lot. Rains there a lot, big trees and stuff, huh? Cool. Brady, tell me about a desert. A desert's a dry and hot place. Yeah, yeah, not at all like a rainforest, is it? No. Not much stuff growing there? No, no, I didn't think so. Okay, well, that's good. Okay. Did you guys realize that the Bible tells us that there are actually like... So did, did you notice how, how it said that, that the righteous people, the godly people, are like trees planted by a stream? <coughs> planted, okay. Whose, whose leaf doesn't wither. Oh, thank you, man. Okay. And, and bears much fruit. There you go, Huh? Not shaken, strong, man, I, I love it, just, this is cool, but, but the desert, you know, I mean, the, the unrighteous people says it's like chaff, and, and chaff is that stuff in wheat and grain that, that's not the real good stuff, it's just the, the container, you know, have you ever, you know, in the late summer, have ever had a leaf, you know, fall off the tree, dry, crumbly, ever picked it up, okay, yeah, so, so this is what, just like that, huh? Kind of like that. And the scripture says that it's like chaff. Have you ever taken a leaf and crumbled it? Show me how you do that. Yeah, let it go. Oh, perfect. Man, the housekeepers are going crazy. <laughs> Which would you rather be? Would you rather be a tree, leaf, fruit, or chaff? A tree that bears fruit and has good leaves. Great. You guys are super. Thank you, Dean. Thank you. I'm Pastor Jim, and I'm leading the children's search uh, team and looking for a, a children's minister and director. And we've uh, actually had some conversations with a few people over the last couple of weeks and continue to take. Uh, resumes and the names of candidates because children and the children's ministry is one of the most important elements of our church. And we just want that to grow. I'm so thankful for those of you who teach in our elementary ages who are sitting with us today because it's first family worship and you get an opportunity to come and be here. And I deeply appreciate your presence and all you, sir, you do. I want to thank you or make available to you also uh, anyone the opportunity to work and serve in children's ministry. It's just a delight and it's a joy and it's incredibly fulfilling. Uh, and I think I told you last week we had a lady who'd only been here two weeks who said, I want to get involved. And she was back there last Sunday and she said, that was so cool. Can I come next Sunday? And I said, absolutely. We'd love, love to have you. Parents, if your children picked up one of these handouts for the children, and it's got a, you may not have looked at it, they hopefully are, but it's, it's got a memory verse, the first two verses of Psalm 1, and then a little red note that says if they will memorize that in the next 25 minutes, 
or some portion thereof. <clears throat> and come and find me after service and recite that to me. I'll just be right down here at the front. I, I have a special treat for those who at least made the effort to do that. Life is full of seasons, folks, and you know that as well as anyone, uh, from the childhood to, to youth and uh, young people that were here on the stage with us to adulthood to old age. There are also seasons, and you've experienced these also, where your life is just full of seething anger. Anger just seems to consume at your thoughts and your moments. And there are seasons that are abounding with thanksgiving. We, just, we're just, we can't express enough how thankful we are for the condition and situation of our lives. There's times of debilitating despair where you do not know what to do. It seems like there's no hope, and yet there's other times that you're just, you're just Arthur, and you're just full of energetic hope, you know, and it just, it just radiates from you. And there are times of personal victory and times of personal defeat, but our, our sermon series for the next at least 11 weeks is going to be about different seasons. All they do is bring different reasons to worship. And we're going to discover those as we wander through the psalm because for every one of those seasons I just described, there is at least one psalm that brings attention or God's instruction in regards to it. Different seasons, life, dynamic, changing, never static. We're laying this foundation today with Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is kind of the prelude in Psalm 2 to the entire rest of the collection of the Psalms. It gives us a big generalized application. And I've entitled this No Third Way, and I'd like to us to quick like us to, to look at the dangerous path, the, the delight in the words of God, and a determined destiny. Dangerous path. Blessed is the man, blessed is the person, blessed is is this individual, is how the psalmist starts. And blessed can be rightly defined as happy. But happy sometimes is a little, it doesn't have the same fullness to you and I because as, as people in the modern age, we tend to define happy based on circumstances. My circumstances are good, I'm happy. My circumstances are not good, I'm not happy. So there's a deeper thought to this, blessed. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's a plural word. And that has the connotations of successful. Successful is the man. Accomplished. Accomplished is the man. To be envied is the individual. Someone who is experiencing the fullness of joy without regard to the circumstances. Someone who is experiencing the fullness of God in the midst of it all. And so we, we find the word blessed in Psalm 1, but we find the word blessed in Matthew 5. Jesus, in the Beatitudes, the starting of the Sermon on the Mount, he runs a whole list of blesseds in verses 2 through 11, and none of them would be great circumstances. If you were to get a chance to go look at, at Matthew 5 and say, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are you know, the meek, blessed are, blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed, happy. Well, if we take it as a circumstance, we're not going to be happy. But if we understand the fullness of successful, accomplished, to be envied is the man who is meek. Or is this because there's great reward from that? First Peter, Peter talks about it. In 1 Peter 4, a, a verse, verse 14, 1 Peter 4, 14, I just, it's a fascinating verse to me. And here's how it reads. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Wow, when you are insulted, God just heaps and pours goodness and the spirit of, on you. He says, and that's part of that fulfillment, that completeness, that wholeness that you can, blessed is the man. So blessed is the joyful spiritual condition of those who are right with God and the pleasure and satisfaction that you get from being right with God. Now, here's the irony in the following verses after verse one. Blessed, happy, fulfilled, complete is the man who doesn't do certain things. Blessed is the person, he's blessed because of what he doesn't do. And here's the first thing. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, as Raylan read for us. Different translations use the different word. Who doesn't walk in the counsel, the advice, the input of the wicked. And wicked's kind of a hard word. Actually, it's probably more appropriately translated as ungodly. Those who do not know God. God is not an important part of their life. And because they do not know him and do not acknowledge him, they, of course, remain guilty before him. Their behaviors may be wicked. We can make a whole list of what ungodly people might do. And the term wicked would really probably aptly apply to those. But actually, the ungodly are some of them, them, are sitting in the room right now. They're, they're good people. And sometimes uh, it, it, descri it describes people who are kind and, and generous. Uh, they might even be part of the church. They just don't know God and don't have a heart for God and don't follow the commands of God. And the psalmist says, you're really going to be blessed if you don't take your counsel, if you don't walk, if you don't choose to live in the advice of ungodly people. And a lesson for kids is that you are at school surrounded by lots of your friends and acquaintances who do not know God and do not obey God, but they've got lots of things they want to tell you, lots of advice to give to you, and of course you want to be a part of who that, that group of people is, and so you're tempted to listen to them. Adults, we, we do the same kind of thing, and, and the psalmist says, you're really blessed if the one you go to for advice and counsel is not the ungodly ones in life. He progresses. He progresses in intensity. He says, not just walking, you know, blessed is the person who does not stand in the way of sinners. Because walking along is one thing, but stopping to consider now what I'm really doing, the psalmist says, is you've stopped long enough to actually consider the lifestyle of someone who has no relationship with God. And it's, it's probably got some amount of appeal to it. He says, and so you find yourself not just walking, but actually standing now and listening to two sinners who unintentionally or sometimes very intentionally do things that are rebellious and, and not in God's design or God's will. He says, boy, please don't walk with them. Please don't stop and consider their lifestyle. Oh, and then he takes it to the ultimate situation. Says, and worst would be, blessed is if you, you are if you do not sit with the scoffers. These are people who are just really antagonistic towards God. They want nothing to do with him. They're surprised you do. And he says, all of a sudden, you may find yourself drawing advice from them, stopping to look at the way their lifestyle is, and then actually sitting down and, and becoming a part of who they are and how they think. 
In the three descriptions of the dangerous path, there is a growing intensity, signifying what may start as a harmless bit of advice from an unbeliever and may end up dangerously, with a dangerously close connection to those who just want to destroy your faith. You say, well, no, no they're good people. I just, I just wanted to ask what I ought to do in my marriage. I just want to really, they're, they're, they're fine people. I just wanted to talk to them about how to raise children. And, and the psalmist would say, just be careful. Be careful what advice or what counsel you take from those who do not know God and have not made God a priority in their life. You know, you could start by taking spiritual guidance from an unbeliever instead of God and, and eventually end up living in their world. You know what this looks like. It's very benign. You know, my wife and I have talked about what's going to occur on a Saturday morning, and a lot of it's going to be me doing things around the house or outside that need to be accomplished. And so as I'm gathering my stuff, I'm walking by the TV, and there's football on. But I go and I get my tools. But in order to get back outside, I have to walk by the TV, and there's still football on. At some point, it's going to be really looking pretty interesting. I'm going to stop because I really, I'm going to go out and do the work in just a minute. I just, I just want to watch this play. And of course, it goes to, to fourth down, and so I, I need to sit down, really, and watch the rest of this. And two hours later, there's nothing done out in the yard. Okay, well, that's, that's what the psalmist is saying is be careful that you don't get caught up in that. We have, my wife and I have a wonderful family who live next door. They're Muslims. And they have three sons. And uh, in their home and them in our home, uh, we've had conversations about, are you ever concerned that your, your young men are going to become radicalized by the influence of ISIS? And, and the discussion is very much Psalms, where they say, no, not particularly, because we don't let them walk with those people and take counsel for them. We are aware of when they might stop and look at the lifestyle, and we are definitely aware of when they may sit because that's how people get radicalized. And the psalmist says, I knew about that a long time ago. Can you give me a Bible illustration, Jim, of someone who did this? I absolutely can, okay? You, you need to write these down because we're not going to have time to go look at them this morning, but Lot. Lot is the nephew of Abraham, the father of faith. Lot and Abraham are, are uh, entering into the, into the land of Canaan, and they have incredible, God just blessed them much, and they have incredible um, flocks and, and servants, and, and there's not enough room for them all to be in the same place. And so Abraham says, tell you what, how about we split up? You go, um, you go one way, and I'll go the other way, and uh, as we're standing here, you get to pick. Lot, you get to pick which way you go. And in Genesis 13, verse 10, Lot says, man, I looked down there. I said, well, there's, there's the hill country and there's the Jordan Valley that looks lush and full. I picked that. And, Lot, and Abraham says, okay. And then there's a progression. In Genesis 13, a little further, a few verses on, so Lot goes and pitches his tent outside of the city of Sodom, Okay, a place that is renowned for its evil and its ungodliness. And it's, I picked that. I picked the valley. Oh, there happens to be a city named Sodom, and it's really bad, but I'm just going to pitch my tent outside the wall. Well, by Genesis 14, he's moved in town. He's got a townhouse in, in, inside the walls of Sodom. And then there's a point, and it's a really great discussion between Abraham and, and God in Genesis 18 and 19, where Abraham, you know, God says, I'm fed up with Sodom. I'm going to smoke them. And, and Abraham says, oh, no, no, no. Lot lives there. 
uh, and it's a whole city. Uh, if, we, if I could find 50 righteous people, would you change your mind? Yes. Uh, well, how about 45? If I, if, I can't, if I can find 45, yes. And, you know, Abraham has this big negotiation dialogue with God, gets it down to 10. If, if I find 10, yes. And so the angels of the Lord go into Sodom to see if they can find 10 righteous men. You know where they find Lot? Lot in Genesis 19 is sitting at the gate of the town where the magistrates and the officials sit. He's now become one of the Sodom people. Pitched my tent, moved in town, I'm one of them. And the psalmist says, blessed is the man, blessed is the person who is aware of that progression. Okay, so here's the key questions for you and us, you and I to consider this morning. Who do you go to? Who do you go to in the seasons of life for advice, encouragement, and support? Who do you go to? Who do you spend the most time with? Well, well, Pastor Jim, I'm busy evangelizing all my unsaved friends. No, you're not. No, you're not. You might be a little. Okay, but think about it. Who do you spend the most time with? And who gets your attention? Who gets your attention and most influences the way you think and behave? Well, I'd love for us all to take those questions and think about them this afternoon while you're having a hot dog and a hamburger out back, okay? What, who do I go to in the seasons of life for advice, support, and encouragement? Who do I spend the most time with? Who gets my attention and has the most influence? Then we move on. It says, blessed is the man who doesn't do these things, but instead his delight is in the words, and is in the law of God. The words of God is delight. And in the Hebrew, the word delight is delight. It's just, oh, I just love being, it's like being around grandkids. It's like, whoa, man, this is so much fun. It's around, it's, it's the joy you have in being around and in situations that, that just make you so happy. He says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Well, in David's time, when most of the Psalms were being written, uh, the law of the Lord was not this. In fact, the law of the Lord wasn't even the prophets. The prophets had yet to be written. The law of the Lord was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible you hold in your hand, the Pentateuch, five books. That was the law. Well, did everybody carry around scrolls? No. In fact, they didn't have any access to them at all. After Moses in Deuteronomy, it tells us that after Moses wrote the books of the law, he put them alongside the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. And every time the tabernacle and the Ark moved, the, the Torah moved. And it sat right next to the Ark of the Covenant. Well, who had, who had access to the Ark of the Covenant? The high priest once a year. So it wasn't something that was readily available to everybody. Just of interest, you know, what happened to the, the tabernacle and the ark? What was their sequence after we got into the promised land? Well, after they crossed in the promised land underneath Joshua, the tabernacle and the ark went to be in Shiloh because that was kind of where Joshua's territory was. He could protect it. And then the Philistines came and stole the ark and then Saul, you know, recovered the ark. And the, the tabernacle went to Gibeon, but the ark ended up in Jerusalem in a tent that David had made for it until Solomon's temple was complete. But all that time, the Torah, the law, is moving in a very sheltered environment, a very protected environment. And yet the psalmist says, I take delight. I take delight in the law. Well, how did he get that? 
by being around the assembly, by listening to the law being read, and then memorizing it. He did not have a Torah app on his phone. He did not have a pocket Pentateuch to carry with him to refer to. It was here, and he memorized, and that's why I encouraged our children this morning to memorize and then bring that to me and share it with me because that's what meditation was. That was the spiritual condition of meditation where, according to this psalm, I memorize divine instruction. doesn't have to be a bunch. I memorize divine instruction so that along the way by day, as I'm going about my business, and on the bed at night as I'm resting and, and reflecting, I could recall it, I can think about it, I can speak to God about it so that he can give me a fuller understanding of it, and then I turn what I've learned, its ideas and its concepts and concerns, back into prayer to God. I memorize it, I talk to God about it, he makes me smart about it, and what I learn, I turn back into prayer to him because I'm guaranteed I'm praying the right stuff if I do it that way. His delight is in meditating on the law. This is where you and I go in the seasons of life for advice, encouragement, and support. The Word of God is the anchor in the ebb and flow of life. Unlike people, it never changes, and it's always right. Delight in the law of the Lord. Finally, determine destiny. The psalmist goes on to say, hey, you know, there is, there, there is the path of one kind of people. They walk in the way of sinners. They walk in the way of the ungodly. They, they stand with sinners. They sit with the scoffers. And, and, and then there's this, there are people who take delight in the word. And they're, they're just as divergent and different as could be. They have absolutely different destinies. He says, one is like a tree planted by streams of water. And the simile of the tree is that it's a flourishing, fruitful life. It produces fruit, interestingly enough, in its season. It's not a year-round producer. At just the right time, drawing nourishment from the soil and the stream of water, it produces fruit just at the right time. And isn't it interesting that the tree bears fruit not for itself, but for everybody who has access to the tree? The psalmist says, the one who walks with God bears lots of fruit that provides nourishment to everybody else. The fruit doesn't do the tree any good at all. But the provision of that fruit impacts an entire room, impacts, impacts an entire family. Since the man who meditates and takes great delight in the law of the Lord, yeah, he's strong and he flourishes and he bears fruit in season and he nourishes those around him. He's a source that people go to because... He is providing what God has provided, and he testifies to God's glory. Isaiah 61, 3, one of my favorite verses, just talks about how the people that God has redeemed are like, like oaks of righteousness, a planting to display the splendor of God's glory. When you and I delight in the word and bear fruit, not only are we nourishing those around us, but we're declaring, we're bringing glory to God as people look at us. All he does prospers. Oh, man, I, you want me to preach that one? It says, if I just meditate on the word, I'm going to have three cars. My house roof will never leak. My kids will always be... No, in the context here, it's not talking about blanket, unlimited success. Actually, he just says, that when the righteous meditate in God's word and they live in obedience to it, 
what they do will succeed. Romans 12 says to be transformed by renewing your mind because we're meditating on the Word of God that we can know God's will, what's good, acceptable, perfect, and do it. Wouldn't you love to go through every day doing God's perfect, holy, acceptable will? Now that would be success. That would be success. And not so of the ungodly. It says they're not like trees at all. They're, they're kind of like this, okay? They're chaffed. They're not beautiful. They don't nourish anything. They don't remain. They may look good right now, but there's an ultimate destiny. The, the psalm says the Lord knows the faithful, and because he knows them, they won't perish. Unbelievers, the ungodly, the unrighteous, they may be charitable and kind they may be involved in community works. They, even, they may even improve living conditions by what they do. In fact, God may even use what they do for his own purposes. But the witness of the scripture is really, really clear. Unless what we do, good works, are done by faith and to the glory of God, they are worthless to God and they have no merit before him. Lots of good people doing lots of good things, and that's great, except God says they are ultimately like chaff because what they're doing has no merit in my book. The tree stands strong, the chaff blows away for eternity also. Do you see the tension between these men? You read Psalm 1 and you go, wow, that's really hard. There's this and that and that. Is there a third way? Is there kind of a middle in the road? There is no third way. And that's the foundation for the rest of our study in the Psalms. There is no third way. You are either righteous and meditating on the Word of God, or you are ungodly and taking your counsel from the world and bearing no fruit whatsoever and end up like chaff. No third way. Throughout the seasons of life and hence throughout the Psalms, we're going to be confronted. You'll be confronted with the tension of living in a world that is not only alienated from God, but actually antagonistic towards him and you, if you believe and have faith in him. And our direction, our confidence, our hope can only be found, only be found in the words of God. A man has seasons in life. A woman has seasons in life. But you know, so does the church. So does the church. Let me... Let me just read Psalm 1 again on behalf of the church. You, you listen, please, as I read. Blessed is Avalon Church when they do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. They don't stand in the way of sinners, and they definitely don't sit in the seat of the mockers. But Avalon Church's delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, Avalon Church meditates day and night. Ah, Avalon Church is like a tree planted by streams of water, and it yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and the community is nourished, and the community is drawn to it, and the community gets what they need from Avalon Church. And all he does prospers, and it brings glory to God. Avalon Church is like oaks of righteousness planted for the display of his splendor. Uh, the wicked are not 
so. They're like chaff that the wind will blow away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of Avalon Church. But the wicked, the way of the wicked, will perish. Together we are a grove of trees <laughs> bearing much fruit for the sake of others and bringing glory to God. Would you stand with me, please? No third way. The psalmist says, I know who you are. I can tell who you are. You are either listening and looking and emulating the world or you are taking great delight in my word and the people who love God and can provide godly counsel and example. And ultimately, if you're ungodly, you're chaff. But God has provided a way through Jesus Christ that you and I can become trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit through the sacrifice and blood of Jesus Christ. As we sing and ponder, I just would ask you to consider. If you know, Lord Jesus, where do you go for your counsel? What is your source? Are you a tree bearing fruit and glorifying God? If not, a, a discussion with God would be appropriate this morning. Arthur. Arthur.